This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Did you know that olive oil is at its peak of flavor and nutrition right after it's fresh pressed at harvest time? That's why my favorite olive oil is delivered to me direct from the latest harvest, thanks to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And now you can try a bottle yourself, normally $39, for just $1 with no obligation to buy anything else. Visit MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. In my case, it truly is MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today's podcast is all about water, water purity, uh, how to ensure that your water is clean, what are some of the hidden hazards lurking in water, uh, and it's certainly appropriate because we've had uh, some real concerns about water lately, uh, some scary studies about uh, negative effects of fluoride, uh, a big crisis uh, happening in one of our major metropolitan areas, uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, so it's with great pleasure that I'm introducing an expert on the subject, uh, Dr. Tina Bodwin. Uh, Dr. Bodwin is a naturopathic physician. She earned a doctorate in naturopathic medicine at Bastyr University. Uh, she also has a practice in New Hampshire, uh, Health Strong Integrative Medicine. She's currently serving as the president of the New Hampshire Association of Naturopathic Doctors. And uh, she is uh, an expert on a wide variety of subjects related to natural medicine. Uh, but lately, your focus has been on uh, water purity and water quality. So without further ado, uh, welcome, Tina. It's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Dr. Hoffman. And I'm a big fan of your work. So well, thank you. It, that's Thank you so much. I take it as a compliment, uh, especially coming from you. Uh, so how did you get particularly interested in, in water? Why is it germane to your practice of naturopathic medicine, the quality of water that your clients and patients drink? Well, it was a, a bit of it was a bit of serendipity. I've always had a strong passion for environmental medicine and the impact of in the environment on human health. And about three years ago, I had a patient. Three or four years ago, I had a patient come in with a water quality report saying that she had a very high level of a contaminant in her water, in her tap water, and she didn't know what to do. And I had an aha moment. And as a as a doctor, one of the big things we do is we always check in on how much water our patients are drinking, right? We want to make sure they're hydrated. There's right. so many hydrate, things that are... Hydrate, hydrate, That's one hydrate. of the axioms of uh, natural medicine. And so am I telling my patients to drink contaminated water at, at higher levels? So I decided to do a deep dive and look at what was happening. What was the status of tap water in the United States? And it took me down many rabbit holes of trying to find out exactly... Um, how reliable and safe our tap water was. So uh, give us a little background on uh, the, the history of water quality regulation uh, in this country. I mean, a lot of things, you know, prior to uh, modern government were sort of like a free fire zone. You know, there was all kinds of uh, hazards were allowed. 
Uh, this is prior to the institution of the FDA in the 20th century. Uh, what about uh, the EPA and or state and local authorities when it comes to water regulation? Well, it, it was, I was shocked that it was only in 1974 that the Safe Drinking Water Act um, was enacted, and it requires the EPA to establish regulations on our tap water. Hmm. Wow. So uh, I, that means that for a large part of my lifetime, uh, I grew up under conditions where there, there was virtually no regulation. <laughs> and uh, maybe that explains a lot of things about you know, how my brain it, works now. It, it could, but also, uh, you know, in the last 30 years, we've seen a huge uptick in um, uh, in industry and commerce and mm -hmm. chemicals. So hopefully, so you know, and about now. Yes. And so an important an important fact is that the EPA has established primary drinking water regulations for only 96 contaminants in tap water. There are roughly about 80,000 chemicals used in industry and commerce, mm. and we only regulate 96 of them. And of note, the EPA has not adopted a single new standard for regulating chemicals in drinking water since 1996. Hmm. And why is that? Government inertia or a pushback from industry? What's going on there? I think it could be, I think it's also public demand. Um, we're seeing now in the last decade that tap water quality is becoming a big issue because we're seeing entire communities poisoned with very high levels of contaminants that are having more immediate uh, short-term effects and it's not just long-term exposure. So I think it's a, it's a variety of things and also uh, with all these chemicals, especially in the last few decades, we didn't have the problems, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago that we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think we can divide uh, the stuff that we find in water into two basic categories. The stuff that is inadvertently there, uh, that's there because of environmental pollution. Uh, but also there's a couple of uh, chemicals that we deliberately add to our water supply. So uh, uh, let's start with that. You know, chlorine, fluoride, uh, perhaps other uh, agents or byproducts of that um, process of water purification. Uh, what about those? Sure. So we want to kill the bugs in the water, right? Nobody wants to be drinking bacteria or parasites. And so we use, there are two primary ones. The primary one is chlorine. And so that's used to kill the bugs. And um, those have a set limit of four milligrams per liter in our drinking water. And the other one is chloramines. And those have been used since about the 1930s. So I, I didn't know about that. So it, there's, in addition to chlorine, we know there's chlorine in our drinking water. There are chloramines that are deliberately added to the water for purification purposes. <laughs> Exactly. And Ooh. we're seeing that um, that's that's made. It's commonly made when you add ammonia to chlorine to treat the drinking water. The benefit of the chloramine is that it lasts longer in the pipes, um, but it takes longer to kill the bugs. Mm -hmm. So and also we're seeing there's more corrosive and leaching of the pipes when you're using chloramines. Mm -hmm. And right now, one in five Americans is drinking water treated with chloramines. Hmm. Well, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, I'm just going to backtrack a second. Sure. So we talked about the regulations, and so we have 96 um, contaminants regulated in the United States. And a wonderful organization, the Natural Resources Defense Council, 
Yes, I'm a giant fan of the NRDC. And for all those listeners, if you haven't Googled NRDC Mm -hmm. org, I strongly recommend. And if you do donations to not-for-profits, I highly recommend them. Don't they do the the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 listings, Mm -hmm. you know, of things that you need to look out for, but, or or alternatively buy conventionally? Is that the NRDC does that? No, no, that's the EWG. Oh, no, I'm sorry, EWG, yeah. Environmental Working yeah. Group. Got so it. NRDC is more um, about environmental resources, water pure, purity and that kind Protecting of our water, land, and air. Got it. And um, they take legal action. And they're actually, I'm going to talk more about them. They're working with the folks in Newark to make change happen more mm-hmm. readily. They're suing down there for, for those people. So the NRDC did a review of the EPA data on drinking water in 2015, and it found that all 50 states in the country had violations. Well. All 50 states had violations of the minimal standards that we have right now. So one out of three community water systems in the U.S. had reported violations. That's almost 77 million, or one-fourth of our country, is drinking water that's not meeting our own standards. Hmm. And there are even more rigorous standards, uh, for example, in California, where uh, they have a much lower threshold for lead than the federal government sets uh, in an effort to protect Californians. They do. The California is much more progressive in protecting the health of their, of their, um, of their citizens. And so there's different regulations. There's the maximum contaminant level and then there's the maximum contaminant level goal. And so that's when money comes into play. Is it economically? Do they want to spend the money to get those levels low enough where mm-hmm. we know it's not going to harm the community? Mm-hmm. So it's a trade off. Yeah. Um, not a good one. And I want to point out of, with that 2015 data, in 2015, there were 80,000 violations of the um, Safe Drinking Water Act. And of those 80,000 violations, they took formal enforcement, the EPA and the states took formal enforcement on only 13%. Hmm. And even fewer of those reported violations, only 3.3% received penalties. It, it so sounds what, like it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You know, there's just so many uh, violations uh, that they just can't keep up with it. Well, they can keep up with it. They're not. They're not enforcing it, oh, okay. and so they could very well. It's. I mean, we have the technology. Um, they could definitely enforce it. They're just not. Um, they're not doing their jobs. Um, so we know there's violations. If we're going to do the monitoring, we have to actually and have violations. We have to act on those violations. So there's uh, political reasons. Perhaps there's some concealment of problems, uh, lack of disclosure, and just general, you know, sort of bureaucratic inertia about getting something done about this. Absolutely. And unfortunately, as we see, as we talk more about the contaminants, um, you'll see why it's so important. So I'm going to swing back to the number one violation is disinfectant and disinfectant byproducts. Hmm. So they were having way too many high levels of, of disinfectants, the chlorine and the chloramines, and even more importantly are the disinfection byproducts. So when the chlorine and the chloramine reacts with organic matter, you have disinfectant byproducts. And so I'm going to talk about two groups. There's over 600 identified disinfectant byproducts. The big one, and if you remember um, Aaron Brockovich. Sure. 
back in the day talking about hexavalent chromium. If you've seen mm -hmm. her anytime in the last couple of years, she's talking about trihalomethanes. Mm -hmm. And that's a major category of disinfectant byproducts. And it's made up of chloroform, bromoform, and a couple others. The 80% of trihalomethanes are chloroform. And so we know from the violations that we see that this is a big problem. It's when it's the number one violation so it's, across it's the country. So it's when chlorine interacts with or certain types of organic matter that you yeah. create these yeah. byproducts? Okay. Yes, exactly. So is that worse than chlorine even when that happens? Uh, I'd say chloramine is more problematic. And one of the, one of the reasons why I think it's, we see quite a bit of uh, negative effects, but also it's tough on filtration. Chloramine is one of the hardest things to filter out of your water. Mm -hmm. uh, but the biggies for trihalomethanes that we're seeing when it's when you have long-term exposure to trihalomethanes, you see liver, kidney, and central nervous system problems, reproductive health problems, yes. cancer, specifically um, liver and kidney. But a big one, and this is the one that Aaron Brockovich is trying to really get the public's attention on: increase in spontaneous abortion in the first trimester of anywhere from almost eight percent to over sixteen percent. Wow! And and this yeah, is, would, and this is something that's fairly prevalent across municipal water systems across the country. Yes, disinfectant byproducts are among the number one violation in the country hmm. of the regulations. Yeah. Um, and also, unfortunately, when I did this, was going down this rabbit hole on trihalomethanes, um, I found a study that told me <laughs> that showed that actually exposure in your shower so trihalomethane oh. is even worse than drinking the water. That's the whole shower filter thing, you know, where people uh, believe that inhaling the vapors, you know, if it's hot shower, you know, you steam up the room, a lot of the water gets vaporized and the trihalomethane uh, is released as a gas. Yes. Whoa. And it's one of the reasons why if folks can't afford it, they should consider uh, there's not enough time with the con tax media and a shower filter, although I do recommend them. But it's one of the reasons why if you can't afford it to go for a whole water, whole house water filter. So it's an icky dinky little carbon block that you put in a, uh, you know, peripherally uh, at the end of the water supply before it turns into the shower head. That's not going to filter out very much. No, it just doesn't have enough contact time. You don't want a slow flow in your water, in your mm -hmm. shower, right? So there's right. really not much contact that's, time that's with the That's the main reason I don't have them. The, the, the water flow is bad enough on the 21st floor of my apartment building. So, <laughs> yeah. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. And now I'm excited about a new natural wellness line from Plus CBD, CBD Calm and CBD Sleep. CBD Calm helps ease tension, soothe irritability, and contributes to a greater sense of contentment through a blend of Plus CBD's award-winning full-spectrum CBD, plus L-theanine and 5-HTP. CBD Sleep aids occasional sleeplessness with CBD plus melatonin, as well as soothing magnolia bark extract and relaxing lemon balm so you can get the rest you need and wake up alert and focused. Both products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman.
All right, maybe we should switch gears. I think you had one or two great podcasts on water fluoridation. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and the the, the news story that caught me recently within the last month, uh, the concern that women who consume fluoridated water uh, give rise to uh, give birth to offspring whose IQs are reduced. Uh, do I have that right? Yes. Whoa. And children who in children who are exposed to higher levels of fluoride have lower IQ points. Yes. So it's it could be in utero, it can also be just having kiddos drink water that has higher fluoride levels. And we only recently in twenty fifteen lowered we were having such a you know, for decades, you know, the dental fluorosis, the yeah. you know, the staining of the teeth. Um we only re only three years ago we lowered it from a range of point seven to one point two down to point seven. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you have, I, I, you sent me uh, a very interesting, uh, PowerPoint where, you know, which is the basis of your more, uh, technical lectures to health professionals. And I, one of the slides caught my eye and it had to do with the incidence of dental cavities, uh, associated with, uh, the, if I have it right, the level of fluoridation. And I think what that slide is suggesting, uh, contrary to what my my dentistry friends would say, is that really it, it's not so much about fluoridation that we're seeing less dental cavities. Absolutely agree. Yeah, the World Health Organization has 40 years of data and countries that don't fluoridate, their dental caries are right down there, right alongside with the United States of low dental caries. So since 1970, all the, you know, fluoridated and non-fluoridated countries have seen a dramatic decrease. So it's not attributable to fluoridated water or even putting fluoride treatments on your teeth, which I hope people aren't doing. Right. I mean, there's so many ways we get it. Uh, you know, folks are immediately going to say, well, how do I get the fluoride out? How do I get the chlorine, chloramine out? We're going to talk about that in, in part two. So uh, ju just keep going, Tina, because let's enumerate some of the concerns. And then in part two, we'll talk about solutions. Okay. Okay, um, so we'll move past the fluoridation because we know that um, fluoride also impacts child's intelligence, increased rates of hypothyroidism, increased uh, plaques in the arteries. Yeah, these, these halogens, especially uh, when there's iodine deficiency, uh, it amplifies the effects of iodine deficiency on the thyroid, uh, interfering with uh, thyroid hormone production, correct? I, I actually wasn't aware of that mechanism, so thank you. Yeah, uh, there, there's they're well, it, they're halogens, so they they're sort of like uh, if you look at the atomic table, they're in the same column as iodine. So chlorine and fluorine uh, can interfere uh, with uh, they sort of get in the way of the iodine doing its job to promote uh, synthesis of thyroid hormone. Well, that makes sense. And it also makes sense why the next one I want to talk about very briefly is um, the perfluoroanoctinic acid, another um, halogenated compound. That's a big problem here in the United States. All over the country, we're seeing PFAS um, chemicals show up in our water supply. PFOS. Yeah, I see that yep. acronym frequently. And it stands for perchlorinated? Perfluorooctinic octaninic acid. Okay, let's stipulate, um, we'll just say PFAS, okay. PFAS, yeah, PFAS, yes. And so, and we know, actually, the U.S. government, you know, we take, they take blood samples, and 
to measure how uh, the contaminants found in Americans. But 99% of the general population has PFAS in their blood. Whoa. And so just to, for a little background, so you'll see uh, it's a very useful substance in industry. It makes things water resistant, non-stick. Um, and so we see it everywhere. We see it in Teflon pans. We see it in clothing. We see it in firefighting foam. We see it all over industry. But unfortunately, it gets dumped in. It gets dumped. Companies are dumping it in, in their backyards, and it's ending up in the water supply. Um, and that was the first. This was my aha moment. We had PFAS elevated levels in New Hampshire. Mm. And the reason why this is so important is actually probably one of the most well-studied contaminants in the United States um, because DuPont back in the 50s had been dumping PFAS in West Virginia for decades. And so we have data from 70,000 residents in Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, to tell us exactly what it does. And so this is a contaminant that's found all over the country. I think 33 out of 50 states have very elevated levels. And the reason why this is really important, again, you see thyroid disease. It might be that mechanism, again, of the iodine. High cholesterol, reduced fertility, ulcerative colitis, mm, uh, wow. kidney cancer. I also saw recently pancreatic cancer. Kids can't respond to childhood vaccinations the same when they have elevated levels. Mm. And I did want to point out you have elevated levels in Jersey and New York. Okay. Well, what don't we have in New Jersey? <laughs> I don't. So, especially New Jersey, you know, old industrial region of the country. And, uh, you know, then we have Long Island, you know, which is uh, the uh, former location of a lot of um, aerospace. Uh, and, you know, they kind of went crazy during World War II in terms of environmental controls. They just kind of let it fly because they thought industrial production had primacy. But uh, they left a lot of contaminated uh, water tables, you know, the, the contaminants seep into the aquifer and they stay there for, for decades. Yeah, you have quite a few hot spots on the island of PFAS. Yeah. So, you know, and then one wonders why is there such a high incidence of, for example, breast cancer uh, in Nassau County? And, you know, there's, there's really some alarming reports about that. Again, you know, uh, it's hard to draw direct inference. Uh, but certainly water is a, is a component of our concern. Yeah. I wonder. Well, definitely it's linked to testicular and kidney cancer and pancreatic cancer. I haven't seen a link on the breast cancer, but we know it's a probable, I mean, we know it's a probable carcinogen. Indeed. Um, so there, what, what strikes me as kind of ironic about the situation in Newark is they said to the people there is that don't drink the water. Well, a couple of things. You know, one is they said, well, we're going to give you all water filters. <laughs> so they gave them water filters, and it turned out that the water filters were inadequate. So on top of that, they said, okay, your water filters don't work. Don't turn on the tap. Don't use the water. We'll give you bottled water. But what they ended up doing is they gave people a lot of expired bottles, uh, plastic oh. bottles of water, where the water has been sitting there for like a really long time. And hello, it's August. It's the middle of summer. And maybe they were sitting on pallets in the sun, uh, leaching some of the plastic residues into the water. So we're replacing one hazard with another. Uh, are we really drinking plastic when we, you know, swig from plastic uh, disposable water bottles? You absolutely are. And we just saw, I haven't had a chance to vet a study. It just came out last week. But they're showing, you know, the average person who has very high intake of bottled water is drinking 70,000 microplastics a year. Microplastics, like these nano, nanoparticles. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And do we know yet what those particles are causing? Because, uh, you know, certainly that's a concern in terms of, uh, you know, our oceans, you know, what's, what's doing to the coral, what's it doing to the fish? Uh, we don't really know what these microparticles do to humans. Uh, I think we're pretty confident that they're endocrine disruptors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those we're pretty confident on and whether they're BPAs or the uh, a wide variety of the plastics, you, you know, there's categories of obesogens, mm-hmm. endocrine disruptors, definitely not good for human health. They can bind to our receptors. Right. So they, they have endocrine effects. That's primarily how they uh, mm-hmm. harm the body. Um, all right. We, we're going to, pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, I want to concentrate on, you know, some of the problems that we've seen in Newark, you know, the heavy metals, lead is a concern, mercury is a concern. Also, there's arsenic in our drinking water, regardless of whether your spouse likes you or not, you're drinking arsenic. Uh, (laughs) You know, I sometimes wonder, you know, I see patients and I do screening for heavy metals, uh, we do provocative tests, uh, looking at urine and we say, Oh, you know, you have a lot of lead. You have a lot of, uh, mercury. Have you been eating a lot of seafood? Uh, but then we see arsenic and it's like, Whoa, you know, do you, are you in a good relationship? Uh, is your spouse trying to <laughs> wait with you? And they look at me kind of funny and go, No, no, this is not arsenic and old lace. This is, uh, in, from industrial sources and arsenic is a true, uh, heavy metal contaminant that's in our environment. We'll focus on that in just a moment. Uh, today's guest, uh, naturopathic physician, uh, Tina Bodwin. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. 